what was so effective for me about how you presented the information was that you gave a lot of the why behind it, not just don't eat gluten, but if you eliminate gluten, these are the things that might improve in your body and like on a cellular level. And that just made sense to me. And I also feel like the way that you presented the information was very empowering rather than restricting. It's like, you can do this. And even if you have days off, don't beat yourself up. Don't let that keep you from continuing. Just, you know, shrug it off and move on. Doctor said you got PCOS. Now go on, girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian to help my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong and take control of yourself. Welcome everyone to another episode of A Sister and Her Mister. Today we have Victoria with us. She is a fellow sister from the sisterhood who lost 30 pounds with the PCOS weight loss method. So we can't wait to share with you her journey. Welcome, Victoria. Hi, thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Oh, we are too. We are too. I haven't forgotten about our conversation that we had on Instagram live. It was really fun yeah. just to talk about your journey. And also when, when you said that my speech has gotten better over the last couple of years, which I don't know, sometimes I think I'm going backwards, but just to hear you say that, it, may, it gave me some confidence. Oh yeah, it's definitely improving for sure. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All so, these episodes that you've done, you know, it's really improved. I know. Sometimes the hard part is like when we're tired, I feel like that's when I take a step back because I just start mumbling and stuff, especially like ever since I quit caffeine for me it's been like hard to like talk as fast without mumbling but you know like you said I'm getting there yeah (laughs) for sure so tell us Victoria start from the beginning of your diagnosis and what it felt like being diagnosed what you were told and how you got to this point today where you're just thriving with PCOS you're such an inspiration and so many women are listening right now and they're on the journey that maybe they're frustrated maybe they're going through it And it seems like there's no end in sight somehow, sometimes, but there is. So share with us. I think we could take it like piece by piece too. Let's start with the diagnosis and we'll get more into like what you did and then things like that. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And I, I totally understand sisters that are listening that are frustrated and feel like there's no end in sight, but there's definitely hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what Talene has showed me. And that's what so many other women in the sisterhood have shown. So my journey started really when I was around 18. Um, That's when I was diagnosed with PCOS. The symptoms that led to that diagnosis were primarily an irregular cycle. So I would go sometimes two, three, four months without getting a period. I also was experiencing significant hair loss, like even in high school. And my mom was the one that noticed it. I thought everybody lost hair in the shower, but she was like, that's a lot. I mean, I have two older sisters and they didn't experience that type of hair loss. So she was the one that was concerned and was like, we should go to the doctor. And so when I was diagnosed, um, it was based on blood work because I do remember I saw an endocrinologist. This was over 10 years ago, so I'm trying to remember. I also did get an ultrasound that showed polycystic ovaries as well. So with all those things combined, that's how I was diagnosed. And at that time, the recommendation was just go on birth control to regulate your cycles and come back when you want to get pregnant. And 
we'll see you at the fertility clinic because you're going to need fertility treatment. They just stated that as a fact. Um, And they, they did share, I remember the doctor said, the only thing you can really do is diet and exercise. But I wasn't really told what that means or what that looks like or how it would directly impact my symptoms. There was no really direction given. And so at that age, I interpreted diet and exercise with air quotes to mean there was nothing that we could do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that also meant like some sort of like extreme changes, like eating less or working out really hard. It wasn't like in a direction where, you know, diet and exercise should be done to treat the root issues of like maybe insulin resistance or metabolism or your cortisol hormones. Like there's like so mm-hmm. many. Re- you can go in so many directions. You can right. go in the direction of healing your metabolism or breaking it, yeah. you know, at the same time yeah. as trying to lose weight. And when you had irregular periods, did you like think that maybe there was like something else happening or were you like initially led to believe that, oh, maybe it's just normal, like at your age or did the doctor just like kind of like push it aside? I mean, I wasn't concerned about the irregular cycles. It was like I said, my mom that was like, you know, that's not really typical again, Mm -hmm. because she had two older daughters to compare I think the doctors were responsive enough to say, okay, once they've put two and two together with the symptoms I listed, it was pretty clear. They just needed the the diagnostic imaging and lab work to confirm the diagnosis. But something that I've learned since then is that in adolescence and teenage years, it's not uncommon to have irregular cycles. So um, in hindsight, it's not something that we needed to slap birth control on right away, but that's just the approach that was taken at the time. That is so true. You know, you have to give your body a chance to regulate your period. And I'm not sure exactly what age that is, but it's definitely Mm -hmm. not 16, you know, it takes time to develop. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. So after that, for several years, I just ignored my PCOS and I lived my best college and grad school life. The culture of college is just a lot of alcohol, caffeine, Mm -hmm. pizza, and not very much sleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that way. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So that's just kind of how I was living my life. And I wasn't, I, I didn't even attempt to change my diet and lifestyle. Like it just seemed like something I couldn't, I was just not capable of. Um, I mean, I'm, I will share, I'm Puerto Rican. We eat a lot of rice and beans and fried food. Like I didn't grow up on a super vegetable rich diet. And so I, it just seemed like it wasn't for me. It seemed like, um, Diet and lifestyle to me, because it wasn't explained much, it didn't seem like it would really fix anything. I just felt like they were just saying that to be like, well, you could try that and see how it goes. Because those those words that you use, like metabolism, cortisol, insulin resistance, they weren't even used in my appointment. Yeah. So there seemed to be no reason for me to change my diet. So I just kept going about my business, how I, how yeah. I was. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if it doesn't make sense, then it's hard to do. If you don't understand PCOS then it's hard to manage it or it just seems unmanageable. Yeah. You're just like, uh, diet and lifestyle, like whatever that means. Yeah. It's also like drink more water. It comes off as so difficult, like to just focus on diet and lifestyle. It's like a very difficult thing to, to like hone in on and find guidance. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially in college, like you were saying, like there's alcohol, there's caffeine, a lot of sleepless nights. Just it's, it's such a normal thing in college that you don't even tell yourself, okay, I should not do this because everyone around you is doing yeah. it. So you just want to be like doing what your friends yeah. are doing or you want to live that college lifestyle. You can you just know? ignore your PCOS and be like, I'm not, I don't have this problem and do everything everyone else is doing. Yeah. And yeah. then it just gets worse and worse. 
True, because part of my PCOS was also some anxiety. So the whole mystery behind what does diet and lifestyle mean, like it seemed like such a big thing for me to try to figure out on my own. And so I, out of like fear, I was just like, well, I'm not going to worry about that. But fast forward to summer 2020, I was a newlywed um, and I was wanting to prepare for eventually having a family. So I started doing more research and that's when I came across your page, thankfully. So it's actually almost been two years now since then. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So, nice. so you, you found this about two years ago? Yes. And um, around that time, that's when I joined the sisterhood. And it's so funny, actually, now that I'm telling this story, because all of this sounded so hard to me until I came across you guys. So when I came across the sisterhood, I immediately went cold turkey. I know that's not for everybody, but I eliminated gluten and dairy and caffeine. I started taking Ovacetol and I switched from Orange Theory to Pilates. And I think what was so effective for me about how you presented the information was that you gave a lot of the why behind it, not just don't eat gluten, but if you eliminate gluten, these are the things that might improve in your body at a, like on a cellular level. Um, And that just made sense to me. And I also feel like the way that you presented the information was very empowering rather than restricting. It's like, you can do this. And even if you have days off, don't beat yourself up. Don't let that keep you from continuing. Just, you know, shrug it off and move on. Like you just had like that approach to it. And and I really related to that because I can be someone who beats myself up. And you were saying you don't have to do that. And so that that was just really powerful for me. And I think that's why after so long of not doing anything, I was able to make a lot of changes in a pretty short amount of time because I felt empowered to be able to do so. And no other provider had given me that empowerment before or that education before. That's awesome. I'm that's, so happy to hear that. Yeah, that, they honestly, like that's exactly what we envisioned when we made the sisterhood is yeah. to, to empower women like you, to empower people. Because the only reason we created the sisterhood was to provide a resource, a hub for, for that exact reason. Because so many people, like including Tallinn in her journey, like she felt ignored. She felt like the doctor didn't give her, give her enough information for a year. Like mm-hmm. at least at, at least for one year, you were like, yeah. Kind of blind, right? In terms of like what to do. Blind and overwhelmed. Like initially I was told to approach it like so restrictively. And for me, like, I can't do that. Like life is life. You're going to go somewhere. You're going to have a bite of something right. that all that restriction and stress around eating is like, not how I wanted to proceed for the rest of my life. So how was I going to figure this out? you know, cooking delicious food, exploring the gluten and dairy-free options. It's not restrictive where you're cutting out like all your carbs and then, you know, you have no replacement. Like that's restrictive. You're just replacing things. Mm -hmm. And then in instances where you can't and you're just like kind of cornered and you're with family or friends and there's no options. Okay. Like, you know, relax. It's, it's going to be fine. Like prepare mm-hmm. next time and, you know, don't starve yourself just because yes. there's no option there. So yeah. that relaxed approach really helped me be able to do it long-term. And even now while we're in Spain, you gave tips, like you mentioned going to a gathering with family and friends, like bringing a dish that you can eat that's gluten and dairy free, or um, yeah. something that I really ran with was like, always have an RX bar in your purse. Those were lifesavers. Just like little tips that you gave to set yourself up for success were very helpful to me. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, it's so those good. little things, right? Like sometimes it's those little things that, that you need. Those just like, like having an RX bar in your purse or having like, 
uh, like preparing ahead of time, it kind of sets you up for more success. And then it kind of sets you up for not feeling down on yourself when you have to resort to something else, which you don't have to feel bad, but it's just like, just a great way to just avoid those things. Remember how many RX bars I took with us to Hawaii? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like, we had a whole I, luggage, like 20. at least like, yeah, 20 yeah. RX bars. I, by the you end were of the eating trip, them too. By the end of the trip, I was sick of RX bars. I know. Just, I mean, they have so many flavors though. So that's a good thing. Yeah. 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 Especially when you're on a vacation with other people and you don't want to be like an inconvenience and like insist mm-hmm. on like, whatever, like gluten and dairy free, um, restaurants, let's say, or, um, or maybe like you're just not eating all day and people are like nibbling on random things and like doing activities until dinner time. It's yeah. good to have something in your purse. So you're not starving. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think knowledge is such power too, because you mentioned taking little bites of things here and there, like mac and cheese was like the love of my life. And um, my husband doesn't completely eat gluten and dairy free. So I will still take a couple bites of his macaroni and like, it makes me so happy, but it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of knowing that I can't eat a whole bowl of that or I'm going to feel terrible. And so it's just, you can, you can make the decisions day to day yourself of what you're going to put in your body, as long as you know what's going to happen when you do that. And sorry, Victoria, I forgot. Where are you based off of? I know you're from Puerto, like you're Puerto Rican, but where are you like living? We're in the Dallas area. Oh, Dallas. Okay. I was going to say, if you were in like in the LA, California area, there's a great restaurant that does a gluten and dairy-free mac and cheese for anyone listening. It's called the Misfit. Mm. Do you remember time we went there for a date and they make one of the best like mac and cheeses in the world and it's gluten and dairy-free. Yeah. Bacon. Oh, well, when I, when I visit the West coast, I'll have to check that place out. (laughs) Yeah. Did you hear about that sister who took Ovacetol and finally got her period after a year of not having one? Incredible. I see those kinds of messages on Instagram a lot. How does that even happen? Well, Ovacetol helps with healing insulin resistance, a common root issue that most PCOS sisters have. And by targeting insulin resistance, we're seeing sisters kick those crazy cravings, finally regulate their periods, ovulate, and improve their egg quality. Each packet of Ovacetol has a 40 to 1 ratio of myo-inositol and D-chiro-inositol. This ratio is similar to the ratio that should be found in the body, but with women like me who have PCOS, this ratio is often imbalanced. So taking Ovastol can be super effective in treating insulin resistance starting from the root of the issue. So awesome. It tastes like nothing. So just warn me when you put it in a cup so I don't drink it. You got it, boo. Check out the link in the description to get 15% off your order. What were like some of the changes you were making and how did you start to see like some of the benefits? How soon did you see the benefits? Girl, after a few days, I was in your DMs, and this is when I remember establishing that there's no TMI because I was telling you that it took me only a few days to reverse what I hadn't even realized was chronic constipation. That was a quick change. Wow. Um, a quick improvement that I saw, but I also saw improvement in like chronic fatigue and brain fog. Um, I realized because of the information that you share that the reason why I was so dependent on caffeine and running to the coffee maker at two and 3 PM every day was because of my hormones and my adrenals. Mm. Um, not just because I loved coffee, um, but there was a bigger reason for that. And so, um, I noticed that ironically, which this, 
you know, it's so crazy to me, but eliminating caffeine gave me more energy. And, yeah. um, you know, that's not what one would think, but after I was educated I, and I, and then I was able to see that from experience and, um, I'm a pediatric speech therapist. So I work with kids that are very high energy. A lot of them have special needs because that's why they're seeing me. And so they have to chase them around. And I just noticed that I, I was able to do my job better. I had better problem solving during my therapy sessions. I was in therapy sessions with my kids thinking of new ideas and what we could do in future sessions rather mm -hmm. than operating on survival mode all the time of just like, let me get through the end of this day. It yeah. was, it was night and day and it, it didn't take a, but a few weeks for me to see that improvement. It is so worth going gluten and dairy free for 30 days just to see how you feel. We say yeah. this all the time. Everyone's like, not everyone has to be gluten and dairy free. Listen, not everyone has to be, but try it because if that's the results after yeah. just two weeks, you know, I mean, with caffeine too, especially like everyone always like is kind of like surprised, like you mentioned, like, oh, like when you quit caffeine, it can actually give you some more energy. I think with caffeine, what it does, it gives you like spurts of energy, like a roller coaster. So you spike and then you like in 30 minutes or an hour, you start to crash, even feeling worse. And I think when you quit caffeine, it gives you like a, like a steady level of yeah. like energy throughout the day, which is what we all like really want. Yeah. You give your body an opportunity to create natural energy. You know, yeah. you're not overstimulating your stress hormones. They're not crashing afterwards. And then you're not overstimulating them again and then crashing yeah. and then having mm -hmm. poor quality sleep. And then the next day it's even worse. And it just compiles, compiles, compiles. And yeah. now you're just running on fumes. Yeah. And it doesn't even mean like everyone has to go caffeine free. It's just like, just look at your day. Like, do you need to have caffeine throughout the day? Mm -hmm. Or maybe just the morning is okay. And then the rest of the day, you can be fine without it. But I want to ask you with the constipation, do you think that had to do with like the gluten? or was there like something else that helped relieve the constipation for you? Um, it's hard to say if it was gluten or dairy because I eliminated them both at the same time, but I think it was a combination of both. Um, well, cause I, I guess now when I eat gluten, it's more of just bloating. So I, I think actually I would attribute the constipation more to dairy, but it didn't take long after eliminating dairy for that to change. I became very regular real quick. That's great. I bet it feels good. <laughs> yes. And I mean, something else best. that I learned from you too, is that that's a form of detoxing estrogen for your body. Many of yeah. us women with PCOS are estrogen dominant as I am. I mean, I still have a bit of estrogen dominance, but I can only imagine how bad it was at that time if I was so irregular and constipated right. all the time and how that had a direct impact on all my other symptoms. It's such a domino. Yes. And I love what you said, because I actually was going to say the same thing that on Instagram in the PCOS space, there's so many people that are like, not everyone has to eliminate gluten, but I want to emphasize what you said, which is like the proof is in the pudding. Like if you try it and you realize that you cannot live without gluten, then you learn something. If you eliminate it and you realize that you're a different person in a good way without gluten, then you also learn something. And mm -hmm. again, it just goes back to knowledge is power. You never know how much it will impact you to make some of these changes unless you try it out. And if you always say, if it's not for you, then slowly reintroduce it back. And then it's just more knowledge, body literacy, right? You're yes. learning what your body can take and what it can. And that's up to you. It's not up to anybody on Instagram. It's mm -hmm. up yes. to you to figure that out for yourself. I love Absolutely. that body literacy for sure. 
You know, people usually wait for like food sensitivity tests or blood work to dictate what's what and what's happening, but only, you know, sometimes the sensitivity test won't pick it up. Well, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you get bloated from these foods and the sensitivity test says you're not sensitive, but you're bloated, yeah. right? Like you wouldn't know unless you tried. I had totally. a physician recommend a pretty expensive food sensitivity test that said I was not sensitive to anything except navy beans which is this random white (laughs) bean and it was like I spent my money on that and then I continued eating gluten on there and after that um, I mean that was before I encountered you guys but you're so right that some of these tests aren't testing what you think they're testing oh yeah they're not very accurate it's actually been talked about a lot recently that food sensitivity tests are not very accurate and actually showing what you're sensitive to yeah I mean, it's worth a try if you've cut out gluten and dairy and you didn't see a difference. Like, I, mm-hmm. I still think some food sensitivity tests are okay, mm-hmm. but Correct. yeah, they won't pick up everything and you should still try it for 30 days just to see. Yeah. 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 Cause absolutely. that's free. I know, <laughs> right? Free to try it without taking all these yeah. tests. But some of the other changes that I noticed was um, definitely improved mood. I was really anxious and I honestly had a lot of mood swings. I would get irritated really easily. Um, that improved a lot when I eliminated those things. And another TMI is my libido was quite improved after making those changes as well. Most significantly to me was that I my average cycle length was about 70 days before I made all of these changes. After about six months, it decreased to 45 days. So that was a pretty quick change because it takes a while for your body to respond, but six months is not oh, that yeah. long. But then, so like I said, that's been almost two years now, and my average cycle length is about 32 days, which falls within the normal range. And this is the first time in my life since adolescence that my cycle is within the normal range. You did it. Yeah, that's such a great sign of like your body functioning and like the hormones being in balance. Like I feel for a lot of people say, or a lot of doctors say like your period cycle is a great um, is it one of the vital signs mm-hmm. of your health? It means everything you're doing is working and you're thriving. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, totally. And it's within our power to make those changes. Um, mm-hmm. it, it does take time because, you know, it didn't happen overnight. So it does take, you know, consistency and just being really gentle with yourself. But it, it can definitely be done for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're also really happy to hear that you're deciding to go into women's health as well to educate others and kind of like spread the awareness that you've learned. Yes. I would love to share what led me to that. Um, yeah, please, yeah, y'all, please. Y'all, y'all know I can talk, so it's kind of a long story, but. No, we love um, it. Please do. <laughs> around the time I joined the sisterhood, I went to, see, so this is a while back around that time. I went to go see my OB to let them know that we were trying to conceive. And we technically were not, but most doctors require you to say that you've been trying for a year before they look into your hormones. So I kind of wanted to get a head start on that from the doctor's perspective and say that we were trying so that would they would basically take me seriously. But I was told that at that time, because my cycles were 45 days in length, that there was no way I was ovulating. I still have screenshots of these portal messages from the doctor because I was triggered. But um, (laughs) she said, there's no way you're ovulating. And they immediately prescribed Clomid, which is an ovulation medication that they start with. And if you're familiar with 
the fertility space, often clomid is the first step and then they do that for a few cycles. And then if you don't conceive, then they'll move on to either another medication or they'll do IUI for a few cycles. And then if that doesn't work, you go to IVS. So it's kind of like, I mean, not every practice is like this, but it's like a fast track or not a fast track, but it's the path towards fertility treatment starts with clomid nine times out of 10. And at that time, I was reading the period repair manual by Dr. Lara Bryden because she had been featured on your podcast. And I had been learning that ovulation can take place later in the cycle. If your cycle is 45 days in length, you're probably ovulating two weeks before you get your period. And so I, um, I asked this practice about that. I was like, well, my cycles are long. Maybe I'm just ovulating later in the cycle. And they said, no, that's not possible. And so I decided not to go back to that doctor. But she was obviously wrong because only a couple months later, we actually conceived by surprise. So that was evidence that I do ovulate. Unfortunately, we did lose that pregnancy pretty early, but I've learned a lot since then about the importance of progesterone, especially with PCOS, but really in pregnancy in general. Um, Progesterone is really important to monitor to prevent miscarriage and make sure that you can sustain your pregnancy. But the reason that relates back to your question is because um, I was told by a board-certified OBGYN that you can't ovulate later in the cycle. And that is mind-blowing to me that I was given such significant misinformation. Yeah. Um, and going back to body literacy, I was able to decide not to pursue the treatment this doctor was recommending because I had some body literacy of knowing that I could be ovulating later in the cycle. I was empowered with that knowledge that another person in my shoes might not have had mm-hmm. and could have easily gone down the path of IVF. And I want to make it clear that I don't think there's anything wrong with IVF. I don't think my sister would mind me sharing that I have a precious IVF nephew, but that also means I've seen firsthand how hard it can be on a person and a couple Mm -hmm. to go through IVF and how expensive it is. And the fact that it was just kind of thrown out there that I should start fertility treatment without looking into anything deeper. Like nobody asked me, why are your cycles 45 days? What can we do about decreasing your cycle length? That was never addressed. Yeah. And so um, at this point, I'm just really passionate about spreading the news. Like I want to shout yes. it from the mountaintop mm-hmm. that not every cycle is 28 days long. Not every woman ovulates on day 14 because m- most doctors will test your progesterone on day 21 of your cycle. That's what this doctor did for me, because according to how they're trained, Everybody ovulates on day 14 and your progesterone is going to peak on day 21. And that's when they're going to take your blood and they're going to say, oh, there's no progesterone. You did not ovulate. You don't ovulate. That's exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. But I knew that that lab test was just timed incorrectly and they should have yeah. been testing it closer to two weeks before my yeah. period yeah. was expected. Like day 31, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I, I just, um, I get a little bit of righteous anger because I think about how many other women are being seen at this practice that are being told this false information. And Mm -hmm. so um, what I am interested in pursuing at this time is becoming a fertility awareness educator and teaching women how to chart their cycles based on signs of fertility, such as cervical fluid, basal body temperature, 
um, because I am charting my cycle now in a way that I can tell you what day I ovulate. So no doctor can tell me that I don't or when I ovulate because I have that information based on objective data that I'm tracking every single day. And it goes back to the mantra that knowledge is power. Um, any woman can learn how to do this and be empowered in a doctor's office to say that they're the ones providing the doctor with information about their bodies and not the other way around. Yes. Right. I totally like agree with that, like the righteous anger that you have. And like, especially like knowing that so many women could be told that wrong information that you were told, but unfortunately mm -hmm. so how like so many of them could like maybe not continue to look into the root issue and see if they can reduce their cycle yeah. and just be pushed into IVF. Like, cause they're so vulnerable. Like it's such a vulnerable time, you know, while you're trying to conceive and you're learning new things about your body, you didn't know, and it's scaring you. And then, you know, like, and you put all your trust into healthcare professionals, all of your trust blindly following them because you're so, you know, vulnerable and desperate for this, you know, outcome of having a baby understandable but it's at the same time like if you have if you can just take a step back and think about your body think about getting literate about your body yeah and um figuring it out a little bit deeper before choosing the IVF route because that's a that's a great option too but like before you choose that route like you said it's so expensive and and so and it's so difficult there are so many other things you can do yeah so I think it also shows like a, just a shout out to you, like a, how much of a great person you are, yeah. how big heart you have to like want to go into being like a fertility educator or just a women's health educator, because you want what you learn others to learn too. Because I feel a lot of people just because life is so busy and totally understandable, you just like move on with the information you learn, but you're, you really want to stop and you just want to spread that knowledge. So I think it's a big a uh, big round of applause to you on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And the I think the reason why I love the idea of being able to do that is not because I want to help women with PCOS conceive. Um, I mean, that's a beautiful thing, of course. But I want to reach the people before they even get to that point. Like, imagine if you knew what your cycle looked like and when you ovulated way before you were even considering trying to conceive. Now imagine how much easier that journey is going to be for you when you get there. So it's almost coming from a place of like, I wish somebody told me this at 18 instead of telling me that I inevitably needed fertility treatment. And mm -hmm. I think that just even teenagers or young women learning this information about themselves, I just think about the the heartache that could be saved, just learning about your own body. 100%, 100%. I'm with you. I feel the same way. And the same thing drives me as well. So I see that in you. And I think it's great. You're going to go far and help so many women. Yeah. And well, when, you've definitely been a huge inspiration to me. So I appreciate oh, that. You're welcome. And, and, you. <laughs> and when you do complete your, your education or whenever you're ready, please let us know. We love to like spread your platforms or, or even have you on the podcast as a now an expert in that field. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be a great, great thing to do. And, but yeah, like totally, I think it should be something that should be spread. Like the education should be spread when at a young age, you know, like when, when women are teenagers or even younger, like stuff that should be made yeah. more aware of. Seriously, yeah, totally. if only at 16, we knew something about our body and some literacy about our periods or fertility mm -hmm. and how important it is to care, even if you don't want to get pregnant, you know, maybe we wouldn't have chosen birth control. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's so true because there's so many other benefits to your body and your health of ovulation besides mm -hmm. just 
conceiving. And that's another reason why I want to spread that message too, because like we know that progesterone impacts bone density. So if you are on birth control and you're not ovulating, or if you are a really severe case of PCOS and you can go a year without cycling, you're not producing any progesterone during that time because Mm. progesterone is only produced after ovulation. And so you are at risk for like early arthritis, osteoporosis. Those are the things that doctors are not sharing. That's another reason why I'm passionate about that too, because I want people to know whether you're trying to conceive or not, your cycle health matters. And like um, Sirach said at the beginning of the episode, like it's being recognized as a fifth vital sign as a report Mm -hmm. card to your overall health. And I'm glad that it's starting to be called that and recognized as such, but I would love to be a part of getting that message out there to where it becomes common knowledge to everybody that period problems are not normal. They should be addressed and it doesn't just have to do with getting pregnant as many doctors approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I'm really grateful that I have a NAPRO doctor now, and that stands for natural procreation. And that's actually how I ended up starting charting my cycles using the fertility awareness method, because um, NAPRO combines Western medicine and functional medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, they actually require their patients to chart their cycles using the Creighton method of cycle charting. Um, which uses signs of fertility, and the doctor then uses that chart as a diagnostic tool as well as a way to time your labs. So they're looking at your individual cycle literally as a report card, and they're like, okay, well, during this time of the cycle, you're showing that you might have low progesterone or high estrogen, or they're able to see based on the cycle when each individual woman is ovulating. They're not operating on everybody's cycles every 28 days approach. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's very individualized and then they can use that chart to time your lab. So I mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier how important it is to test certain hormones at specific points in your individual cycle. And these doctors are very well-trained in in being able to do that and have that individualized approach. So I would, I would encourage anybody who could find a NAPRO doctor to do that um, if they can access one, because it's been incredible for me. Um, I've been able to start cyclical bioidentical progesterone treatment through Mm. that provider. And it's just been a game changer for me. When you have um, negative experiences with doctors and then you find a good one, it just makes you so much more grateful for that care that's individualized and that you're feeling heard. Especially when you're combining Western with a functional doctor. Like just the the word functional means so much to us because functional really looks at the body as a whole and it gets really more specific down Mm -hmm. to like the levels and not just like, you know, looking at it in like this wide, wide range, wide range. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. I think that's a great, yes. great option for anyone. Yes. And my, my doctor is an OBGYN. Some NAPRO doctors are family doctors and things. So you would want to decide if you have a preference between those, but she's an MD OBGYN. So she can still prescribe medication. If, if I got to the point where we were trying to conceive and we weren't successful and I did need Clomid, I don't have to go find a fertility cre- mm-hmm. treatment center. She can provide that. But she's taking a lot of steps before we get to that point with supplement recommendations and vitamins and minerals and uh, anti-inflammatory diet and things mm-hmm. like that. But if we need to go there, we need to go there. So it's really the best of both worlds. Yeah, I like that. I love best it. Best of both worlds. That's really good. 
So uh, before we end the podcast, Victoria, what are like, so to continue managing your PCOS, is it just about for you at this point, consistency and just kind of like just being consistent, not putting a lot of pressure on yourself because you've already seen what works. And is, is that more like how your mindset is to go forward? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I want to say too, that since you asked me that, it made me think about the fact that I did change a lot overnight, but I was still snacking a lot, eating a lot of carbs. I wasn't monitoring my carbs when I went gluten and dairy free. I was still eating some gluten free cupcakes here and there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's definitely still been a progression. And so that has changed too. So there's, there's always something that you can be looking at um, as far as how could I improve this? To answer your question, it it is definitely about maintenance for me right now as far as like continuing to eat gluten and dairy free. I mean, that's just come so second nature to me now that it's been almost two years um, Mm -hmm. because I know how it feels when I have some gluten or dairy. Also, just continuing to just be aware of all aspects of my health, like including continuing to prioritize sleep, even just like continuing to prioritize Dress management is something that I've also um, been inspired by from you guys, like making sure that I'm using meditation and um, I'm, you know, seeing a therapist to help manage anxiety and things like that. And just understanding that real wellness is whole body wellness um, Mm -hmm. across all of your systems, like um, sleep and mood and food. And and you can't do everything 100% all of the time. So there's going to be times that maybe, you know, like last month, my my birthday month was in February. I had, I had cake a few times, you know, a few times more yeah. than I would normally have. That's and, okay, you it's know, your birthday. Times, exactly. And um, there's times that your sleep isn't where it needs to be. So um, I think it's all about just giving yourself grace and understanding that you can't do everything perfectly all the time. There's going to be times that your nutrition is great, but your sleep is poor and you just have to continue to give yourself grace. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, I have all these things in place that I've been doing for so long and I want to keep doing all of those things, but knowing that, you know, there's some give and take and there's an 80, 20 rule when it comes to those things. Um, is really important to me. That's great. And that's super important. It's always good to layer on all the different components one at a time as you feel ready, as you feel fit for it. Because yeah, it just never ends. Like You do the same too, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're always constantly like adjusting sleep. That... Adapting yourself. Yeah, like I'm trying to sleep at 10 o'clock. Like I, I think of these things. It's at the forefront of my attention that like mm-hmm. I need to do these things to take care of myself so I can really like be at optimal health. And maybe other people don't have to think like that as much but for me with PCOS with my body and being literate of my body I know that that's what I need to do and so that's great that you mentioned that so that people don't think it just like ends at gluten dairy free and obacetol because there's so many other things in the sisterhood that we talk about that contribute yes a hundred percent and to be real like I lost I lost about 12 to 15 pounds within three months of joining the sisterhood. So I did see a pretty quick loss there, but I did gain some of that back, you know? Mm -hmm. So now I can say I've lost almost 30 pounds, but it wasn't just, I immediately lost 30 pounds and I stayed that way. There's, there's fluctuation with that. That is normal and that is okay. And I actually posted something like that in the sisterhood and it was a long time ago, but I got so many responses to that because people were like, Oh, thank you for saying that. Because a lot of people that are at the beginning of their journey feel Mm -hmm. so much pressure to be 
on 100 perfect all the time. And it's like, if you lose weight, that means you're doing something well, but if you gain some of it back, that is okay. That's telling you that you're stressed at that time or you're traveling at that time, or it was your birthday and you had three cupcakes that week or whatever. Um, And that, I just want to normalize that and emphasize what Colleen has always said, which is that it's a lifestyle. This is Mm -hmm. not a diet. It's not a restriction. It's just, it's knowledge that you're giving your to where if you gain five pounds that's knowledge and then you can do with that what you want to do yeah exactly i love that i'm with you i love that it's always about two steps forward and there might be always one step back it's two but you're you're always focusing on the lifestyle and it's never like one like one shot straight up there's always Mm going to be like bumps along the way but just consistency focus on lifestyle and it's just focusing forward yeah on the body literacy like we said earlier Mm -hmm. 100 percent absolutely Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for for coming on the podcast today. We'd love to have you back on again in the future to talk about women's health and just talk, continue to talk about your journey. And we'll always like, of course, keep in touch with you as as you go through your journey as well in the sisterhood or just privately as well. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, sisters, for listening to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.